All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! Moments notice.
Hello Canucks fans, welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Parallel 49 Brewing Company. My name is David Quadrelli, very excited this week to be joined by Thomas Drance of The Athletic. We are continuing our Keeping Up With The Media series. If you haven't listened to the first two conversations of the week, those were with Dan Murphy and Justin Morissette of Sportsnet. Justin Morissette also does the Locked On Canucks podcast. Chris had a good conversation with him. I had a good conversation with Dan Murphy, and this one with Thomas Drantz actually turned out very well, so hopefully you guys enjoyed this listen. Uh, there's a little bit of an audio problem around the 18-minute mark. You'll see it. Drantz and I talked about our top three favorite chocolate bars, but I had to mostly cut out most of that little segment we did, along with, unfortunately, Drantz talking about the Sedin Cup that him and Harmon did, their teams that they pitted against one another, and our starting lineups with $21 from Vanessa Jang on Twitter. We, uh, we had to cut a little bit of that out, but without further ado, here is the conversation with Thomas Drantz. All right, guys, very pleased to be joined now by Thomas Drantz of The Athletic. Drancer, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, Quad. How are you? Very good, very good. This is, uh, is, is going to be a lot of fun. We, you know, I talked to Murph on Monday. That was a good conversation. And then uh, Chris just talked to Justin Morissette, who a good friend of ours. And I'm very, very excited to have this series going on. And then we got PJ coming on Friday. And then Rob Williams on Thursday with Chris. So this is a fun uh, series. We're just, you know. Yeah, exactly. There you go. We, uh, well, thanks we, for thinking of me, man. Happy to do it. Of course. We're happy to have you on. We were, uh, we were, people were requesting, uh, well, one person was requesting JD, and we were like, oh, man, we got to bring JD Burke on the podcast. That's a, that's a murderer's row right there. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway. Uh, JD Burke's the best. Yeah, totally. So, you know, we're going to try not to talk too, too much about hockey here because it seems, you know, nobody really cares about what's going on right now in terms of hockey because. <laughs> There's just so much more stuff going on, but I guess we'll kind of start at Rogers Arena, and you know, the first night, well, I guess you and I met on Intro Media Day, but again, Murph and I were talking about this, basically the day that you and I were formally introduced and like actually like hung out was on my Botchford Project Day, and I was just wondering from the mentor side, you saw nine individuals, couldn't quite finish with the 10 because of the COVID-19, but what, what did you think of the project as a whole? How do you think it went, and are you looking to do it next season? On the whole, I thought it was a smashing success, personally. You know, I was really proud to be part of it. I was proud that the Athletics stepped up and sponsored it uh, through the Canucks. Um, And I had a lot of fun getting to know a variety of people, yourself included. But, you know, on and on from Robin and Danielle and, you know, uh, everyone who participated, Cody and, and on and on. I mean... A lot of people who I still chat with pretty regularly and who I think did some really tremendous work. So, uh, you know, it was a lot of fun to be a part of. Uh, I think there was a lot of good work done. And, you know, I think it was a really cool experience to be able to offer. I mean, when I was sort of coming up, there was certainly nothing like that. Uh, No ability to dip your toe into the pool, as it were, uh, in an accredited media environment uh, at an NHL-level game. And, I mean, you know... When I think back to what Botch meant to me when I was a young writer and how he'd take time to write emails to me about his clicks to running, you know, sort of availabilities in the locker room. And once I got decently good at navigating that space, the fun that we have together, you know, like one thing that I always think about when I think about Jason is it was at the draft in Buffalo. So what's that, 2016? And that was the draft where Jim Benning memorably got fined for the P.K. Subban, uh, Stephen Stamkos, 
tampering sort of thing. And I remember Mark Bergevin was finishing up his availability in the pods, and I just point, I just knocked Jason Botchford on the elbow, and I pointed Bergie, and I go, "Should we do this?" And he's like, "Let's go." <laughs> we sort of jetted around the room, and just as Bergie's availability was ending, you know, we had him sort of comment on his feelings about it. And Jason sort of ran that as his main story. I sort of buried it in my recap of the weekend. But, um, you know, that's because Roger was better at his job at that time than I was. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter was that those moments, that, like, rabble-rousing uh, with Jason at the rink was a lot of fun. And, and finding a way to distill that and pass it on in honor of his legacy of mentoring, you know, not just me, but so many local writers, Wyatt, J.D., Justin, um, you know, Patrick, on and on, um, was something that meant a lot to me that I think was important to do. And for that reason, I think when hockey returns, I'm sure the Canucks, the local media groups, uh, the PHWA, everyone who's involved will, you know, come together and find a way. And maybe we don't do 10 again. It was a pretty big sort of project this year. I think maybe it'll be five. Maybe we truncated a bit. Uh, but my guess is is that everyone will have interest in finding a way to continue that project uh, because I think it introduced Canucks fans to a lot of good young writers. I think it gave a lot of good young writers some exposure and experience, and I think it was a win for everyone involved. So a lot of fun to be a part of. Really proud that we were able to do it and execute it. Um, you know, and I've made some I made some friends and and some people who who were able to participate, who I think will be hearing from not just personally but you know as sort of consumers of content in the Vancouver hockey market for many years to come yeah absolutely man and you know you talked about it there like it's pretty unique to have the have the opportunity to be mentored by so many people in the market and I don't think that's just exclusive for people who were selected for the Botchford project like you know, for example, I've reached out before the Botchford project. I was talking to like Rick Dollywall and he talked on the phone with me for like 20 minutes, Steve Ewan, all these guys and like yourself included. Like I know your DMs are open and people can reach out to you and ask for advice. And I know like you've given me an insane amount of advice for sure. But like, I think it's just such a unique um, media landscape that like, it kind of seems like everybody wants to see you succeed, especially if you're like a young up and coming writer. Like there's nobody really trying to like shoot you down, you know? And I think that's something that Jason Botchford really started in this market, and I think his legacy's lived on through that. I think so, and I think he also had a recognition that, you know, one of the reasons that he used Twitter so effectively was that he knew that a fight with, whether it was me or Andrew Walker or whomever, wasn't actually a fight. Like, there was actually utility in disagreeing publicly with people and stimulating conversation, and that, you know, that sort of conversation, whether it was acrimonious on, a, on its surface or not, actually helped drive interest in everyone's work and in conversations around the team and in creating this more vibrant online space uh, for fans. And I think that was something that he came to naturally and maybe before a lot of the other mainstream writers. And so I think it's an appropriate way to honor his legacy. And I think you're right. I think there's a real strain of that that lives on in the Vancouver media scene and is still practiced by a, a variety of us. Okay, so before we shift away from hockey, you know, it was your first season back after being with the Panthers. Um, you're back in Vancouver, you know, back home, and you were very excited to come back. We were all excited to have you back, like, especially all of us athletic VIPs. We were, like, 
the day I found out you were coming back, I was like, okay, great. This is awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to keep my athletic subscription and, um, Thanks, yeah. And the yeah, for sure. And <laughs> so it was your first season back. How'd it go, man? Like what were your expectations coming into it? Not for the team, but for yourself and like your life back in Vancouver, what were your expectations compared to what actually happened? Well, look, until a global pandemic sort of shut down the season, I certainly uh, didn't expect that. But other than that, I think things had, you know, met or exceeded my expectations in terms of the response of the market. You know, we were very deliberate about how we went about our business and, and how we wanted to, you know, carry on Jason's legacy while also creating a space to forge our own path. And... So, you know, I think, for example, the Army is, is like a really good distillation. Like, it's a hat tip that honors Jason's, you know, legendary athletes in the pubs before that, but also is distinct and something wholly different. And, you know, I, I go back to that first Army's post where we, you know, had the Photoshop of the retired athletes banner, right? This idea that, like, we were retiring the athletes because no one else can do it. And the name sort of, you know, suggests that it takes an army to replace something that you know an achievement that was as towering singular and you know impossible to replicate as what botch managed with the athletes and, and so the idea of having you know Wyatt Harmon and myself all people who've been you know mentored and had close ties personally uh, to Jason carrying on that legacy while doing our own thing but but in a format that you know was familiar to our subscribers like for me that was sort of a really powerful moment, um, a really powerful idea, and something that worked really well for us, and, and worked really well for us throughout the season. I mean, the armies are a labor of love. They are really hard to do. Like, it's a lot of work, and we have a pretty tight deadline before the desk that handles those sort of things, you know, closes. So, yeah. um, you know, to, to be able to have the success we did with that uh, this season was something that really mattered to me, and to have the support of our VIPs, you know, it seemed like they were rooting for us, and it seemed like they were appreciative when we succeeded, and that meant so much. Like, that was such a, a an embrace from our subscribers, and, and, you know, that was something that also exceeded my expectations, but when I sort of go through this season and think about some of the highlights that I got to do professionally, you know, things like working with Marcus Nasland on an open letter to Bo Horvat mm -hmm. when he was named captain or breaking down game tape with the Sedin twins in the, in the yeah. video room at Rogers Arena or talking to 16 people who were involved in the Dragon Slayer game for that oral history or, you know, beginning to build rapport in a relationship with Elias Pettersson to the point where, you know, he was really happy to do that Q&A for the VIPs and, and be really open and funny. Uh, throughout it you know those sort of stand out to me as the big highlights and you know it was also a lot of fun to cover Quinn Hughes's rookie season and see what he was able to do and you know build the van cast out and hang out with J-Pad all the time on the road um, you know at the end of the day the Canucks do a really good job of facilitating uh, sort of availability and access outside the ordinary course if the idea is worthwhile and so they helped me out a ton, especially with things like getting the twins to Rogers Arena ready to break down game tape. And yeah, I mean, look, it was a lot of fun. Uh, just a tremendous season you know, for the team, but also the 50th anniversary season gave us a lot of meat uh, to chew on. 
and the subscribers' response was was tremendous. But when I sort of think back to what I'll take away most of all from my first season back covering the team, you know, aside from the global pandemic that just sort of ground everything to a halt toward the end, uh, when I sort of think back to it and, and what will stick out to me the most, I do think it's things like the Army's, the Botchford Project, the ways that we found a way to essentially relaunch the athletic in Vancouver in a way that was respectful, paid tribute to, and acknowledged the contributions of, you know, a a guy like Botch, who was a close personal friend, but also meant a lot to me professionally, and also, you know, find a way to forge our own path forward um, in this media landscape. And and that's sort of, I think, the the big thing that, the big challenge that we had, and, and, and also the thing I'm proudest of sort of getting right, I think, um, when I sort of look back at my first season. Well, I think you guys certainly did get it right. And the Armies was, you know, like you said, it's the perfect way to pay tribute while also forging your own path. And yeah, like all that good stuff. But I just, you know, I guess that kind of transitions to me to my next question kind of perfectly. If you had to pick one story that you wrote this season, what is your, like, your Mona Lisa or your favorite story that you wrote? And I'll tell you what, what it is for, like, for me, for what you've written. It's definitely the oral <laughs> history of the Dragon Slayer goal. Like, I... Like I woke up and I, th- yeah, I think you sent me the link and I, I opened it right away and I was reading it immediately and I was just like, holy cow. And like my brother, he's, he's not a huge hockey fan. Like he hardly even reads my stuff. So he doesn't have a subscription to the athletic, <laughs> but I told him, I'm like, dude, you need to read this goal. Like he talked to all these people, like you need to read this. So he read, the, he read the article and that was something that he really liked. And I was like, okay, if he's liking it, then it must be good. Yeah, I, I think that's up there for me. Uh, for sure. I, I, I think that's probably the one that I'll look back on the most fondly, just because I worked on it so long. Like The first draft of that is about 8,000 words, and what we ended up publishing, I think, is closer to 3,500 words. So there was a lot of great stuff that hit the cutting room floor, and you know, at the end of the day, I think we came out with something that was really streamlined, that propelled the reader through it, and that people seemed to really enjoy. So certainly the response to that article uh the fun i had putting it together and the conversations i got to have with the sort of various people who were involved and you know some of the relationships that came out of it like i had such good chats with people that you know that i still text with them frequently um and still sort of chat here and there on the phone And, and i think that sort of speaks to the fact that it was a fun experience for them to relive it and it was a fun experience to put together and i think the last sort of thing I'd add to that is Chris Campoli being willing to be as open with me as he was about, you know, this defining sort of gaffe in his career uh, was, you know, tremendous. And and I don't think the article works without him as the emotional center of it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm really grateful that he was able to see the big picture and and participate. And, uh, you know, I think that his raw honesty and emotion sort of elevated that piece beyond just like a fun bit of nostalgia and made it something truer in terms of capturing the stakes and the emotion that makes sports so fascinating all the time. Yeah. And you know, like, I think you really captured that well. And you know me, like I message you all the time. I'm always trying to pick your brain and I appreciate you letting me do so. But when you posted that story, I was asking you, I was like, okay, so how'd you figure out how to put all those quotes in order? And like, you must because I knew you obviously must have had a ton to deal with, and you you have to have that storytelling ability to put the quotes in the right order and make sure that everything lines up and that the story flows. 
How much editing did you have to do on that one? A uh, fair bit, for sure. I mean, it, major, the major difficulty was just, you know, it's not like I sat down for a week and worked on that piece. Like, in the flow of the season while I'm doing armies, while I'm doing other articles, I just sort of slowly and surely kind of did an interview or two a week, a week and just kind of got through it. And it was sort of at that point that I spent like a full day transcribing. And then I grouped sort of, I was like, these quotes are about the setup. These quotes are about this. And I just kind of grouped them all together. And then, and then sort of the goal in putting together a piece like that is you want it to sound like it's a conversation around a table, right? And you're in a room with all of those people at once. And they're just kind of, you know, taking turns, chiming in. And one thing I got lucky about was about two weeks before, uh, three weeks before I ran the piece, I told the Canucks what I was doing, and I said, look, I've, I've gotten all of these interviews on my own, but I need Henrik and Daniel's voice in it, and I also have this other idea, and it was for the, you know, Sadine sort of video piece that I wanted to run the day their jerseys were retired. So I was like, look, I need, this is what I need. I need this the twins for for an oral history and I need the twins for this. If it's easiest for them, we can do it all together. Like we'll just do it all in one big shot. If they're willing to take an hour with me and the Canucks were able to set that up. So we did, you know, a, an hour long video session and then I got 10 minutes of them talking about the series, but because I had them in the room at the same time, they were like joking with each other back and forth as they were called the series, which gave me at every portion. Like if you read that interview, right? When their quotes appear, it's really conversational, which is sort of talking to one another. Let's kind of shift away from what actually happened this season. I told you we would talk about this. I gave you, I gave you a warning. So building your ultimate starting lineup with $21, do you, need, do you need me to send you the tweet before we dive into this? No, I already did this exercise. Perfect. I my $6 player is... Now wait, I thought that you had to take one player from each row. No, no. Just twenty one dollars, so you get to you get to pick with with so that I money. Spend, I can spend eighteen bucks on having both twins and Luongo. Yeah, you can. Okay, and then so I'm gonna do that, and then what what are the wingers for one dollar? Just tell me. So Miller, Ronning, Besser. Uh, I'll take Miller. Yeah, that's who I then, have. And then and then give me my two one dollar D. Tanev and Dave Babich. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fine. I'll take it. Okay. Wow. I it's like worth it. it. It's worth it for Luongo and both the twins, right? So my lineup, I've got Miller in the $1 tier, Kessler in the $2 tier, and then Burray, Kevin Bieksa, and Ed Jovanovsky. That's my lineup. I like it. I like it. Yeah, but that was a awesome idea that you and Harmon had. <laughs> um, the, the amount of fun people had on Twitter with that, all the people beaking you like in the days leading up to it about your team. Like it I saw, felt good to win after that. I'll tell you that much. Oh, for sure. Like Blake Price tweeted, he's like, "Did Harmon have the first ten picks?" And I, oh my gosh, <laughs> I was, you know, I saw, I saw your team though, and I didn't comment much on it because I was like, okay, I want to see what happens. But I didn't, you know, a lot of people were just discounting your team right from the start, and I was like, well, I think, I think Drancer's on to something here because you know Harmon's team looked great on paper. That offense, like 
The fact that he had the West Coast Express on the third line was good, but then you have to look a little closer and see that it's the 2005-06 West Coast Express, who were much less efficient than the ones of years past. So I was looking at that, and I was like, okay, maybe Drancer's got a real shot here. And then, you know, reading that article was awesome, especially when Harmon uh, included Uncle Lilith as the GM and tanking and getting rid of Myers. Oh, man. That was uh, that was that was awesome, and again, like that's like the storytelling and all that. It was awesome. But who came up with that idea? Uh, I think it was us together. I mean, we were just sort of talking with Dom and sort of suggested that we sort of build out or or abuse his model to create, you know, a game that we can play competitively. Um, just and we had a lot of fun doing it. Like that's the thing that was best about that piece was. The draft itself, we did it over two and a half hours one Sunday, and we had a lot of fun with that. And then we had so much fun with Dom. Like we basically just ran the the Slack chat log in which we played the game. Like the, the, there's very there was very little editing done because we were just joking around like that, and we just kept one upping each other with the fake tweets. And there wasn't a ton we had to take out or or add to it. Like it was literally just us kind of playing this dungeon game with hockey teams uh but no a lot of fun and and we had a great time and i'm glad that the market enjoyed it in this sort of dark moment that we're in totally okay so i again we're just playing games basically here on the podcast now so i sent you another tweet about which house are you picking the quarantine house house are you picking i am picking for sure either well for me it's between either Pedersen house or bo horvat house the I like that Pedersen's house has a lot of guys who are fun to talk to, smart guys, uh, Demco, etc. Some of those guys are good, good conversation, and obviously PD himself. And then Bo Horvat's house has a lot of like quality depth in terms of you know Jordy Ben and Tyler Myers and Jay Beagle are all absolute beauties. So uh, and Jim, Jim too. Jim's a lovely guy. So uh, it's, for me, it's between those, and I probably end up taking PD house but uh, by a very narrow margin over Horvath House. Next little game we're playing, and the final one, as we finally close out this podcast, you know, we talked way more about hockey than I thought we would, but, you know, what, what can you really expect, right? So these are the, yeah. these are the Canadian chocolate bars, and you got to pick your top three favorites. So it's Arrow, Caramel, Coffee Crisp, Crispy Crunch, Kit Kat, Mars, Mr. Big, O. Henry, and Smarties. I am allergic to three of these nine. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the caramel. Yeah. Smarties. Ooh, okay. And those I, are my three. I think you you have to include the Kit Kat. Like I think Kit Kats are my favorite. Oh, yeah. No, I think those are all good picks. But but Smarties for me, like some heat for for sort of boosting Smarties on Twitter last night. But for me anyway, I think the people who say I'm an Amazon Debbie, they've never lived in the states. All dressed chips, all dressed ruffles. Like I don't think they have those in the states either, do they? They do now. Oh, good. And they're and they're and they're advertised on the bag as Canada's favorite potato chip. Love it. I love it. They're yeah, my favorite. Got, like a big maple leaf on on it. No, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of the President's Choice all dressed ruffles. They are tremendous. Yes, they're fantastic. Absolutely. 
And you know, John Garrett's favorite ketchup, your favorite chip is definitely ketchup chips. No, it's not. What is it? It's not. It's uh, it's it's just not. But John Garrett will dip chips. No. Like original. Don't and tell me. Salt and vinegar chips in ketchup, but no. he does not like ketchup chips. Yeah. No. What? Key, key John Garrett fact to blow your mind with. What? Well, oh my gosh, because yeah, I was. John Garrett, by the way, is the best, and uh, and I'm I'm trying to on uh, on sort of I, I spent a game embedded with John and John and never got to run it before the season ended. But now that we sort of settled into our social isolation, and in the next couple weeks anyway. But John Garrett is an absolute beauty, but he does not like ketchup chips. That is surprise. Wow, I see that that blows me away because I was telling Murph when John when I talked to John, I did an interview with him like a Q and A for an article I wrote about six months ago. Super nice guy, obviously, as you know. Um, yeah, but the, the, the million dollar question that stumped him was I asked him what he wouldn't put ketchup on, and it took him a good minute to answer it. Like he was pondering it for a while, and I was trying to help him. I was like, "Oh, like steak." Cereal. The answer is cereal. Well, he didn't say cereal. I didn't ask him, but he said fish. So I told Murph, and Murph's like, yeah, the only reason he said that is because he doesn't eat fish. Anything he wouldn't put ketchup on. (laughs) Oh, man. Anything he wouldn't put ketchup on, he wouldn't eat. That's what Murph said. So, yeah, that's that's surprising that he doesn't like ketchup chips, but he dips them in ketchup. That is... That is unbelievable. We might have to have him on the podcast to ask him more food-related questions. <laughs> yeah, I would listen to an hour of John Garrett's food takes. Yes, 100%. Well, Drancer, thank you so much for doing this, man. Uh, you know you're welcome back anytime you want on this podcast. We love having you on. Uh, honestly, hopefully this blows over sooner rather than later. It probably won't, but in the meantime, <laughs> we'll keep in touch, man. And yeah, like, uh, Thanks, man. Yeah. Always okay. a pleasure to catch up with you, Quads. All the best. All right, see ya.